The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin the markets. They're bracing for a potential spike in volatility today as more than $2 trillion in stock options. They are set to expire. This is the major averages extend their losing streak this week, pressured by rising bond yields. Also, China's property crisis, it deepens as the country's second largest developer files for bankruptcy here in the U.S. It's sparking fears of a spillover to both the Chinese and the global economy. And getting near the checkout line, Instacart is reportedly close to launching its long-awaited IPO after delaying that offering several times. And we've heard from major retailers this week. We're talking Walmart and Target about how their customers are being impacted by inflation while the recent sharp rising gas prices is also pinching Americans' wallets and pushing them to pull back even more on spending. And game on, Madden 24, it hits stores today, giving a boost to producer electronic arts. But is EA the best name in the video game industry? A top analyst weighs in. It is Friday, August the 18th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we're going to kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As you can see, right across the board. Right now, the Dow looks like it would open up just about five points lower, actually up off of its lows of just earlier today. The S&P fractionally lower, the Nasdaq taking a bit of more of a dip to the downside. So this follows the major averages, extending their losing streak to three straight sessions yesterday. As we mentioned, there is the possibility of an increase in volatility today as U.S. stock options contracts with a value of $2.2 trillion are set to expire. All right, if we dig just a bit deeper, take a look right here. The Dow closing below its 50-day moving average for the first time since June 1st and now joins the S&P and the Nasdaq in that territory. Week to date, the Dow's down 2.3% on pace for its worst performance since March. The Russell 2000 and the Dow Transports also on pace for their worst week since March. You see the Russell down almost 4%. The Dow Transports down 3.5%. The main culprit for the woes in stocks this week, we're talking rising bond yields. The 10-year note hitting 4.328 yesterday, its highest level since last October. Take a look. <coughs> Excuse me. Today, the benchmark 10-year, 4.24, so pretty close to that level of 4.28. We're seeing the two-year actually ease off, ease back a bit from a 5% yield. So the rise in bond yields are also having a big impact on the housing market. The average rate, <coughs> excuse me, on 30-year fixed mortgage hitting a 23-year high of 7.37%. All right, we're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil as always. We're going to begin with WTI crude just basically at 80 bucks and 50 cents, fractionally higher, basically flat this morning. Brent crude at 84.08, down fractionally, bigger move in natural gas, down almost 2%. We're also seeing some red arrows in Asia and Europe today. Our Jamana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom with much more. Jamana? 
Good morning, Frank. Well, we are sitting at our third straight week of losses for these Asian indices. Ex-Japan, we are at a nine-month low for the MSCI index. So that sort of gives you a color, some color of what's happened this week. 3.4% weaker for the entire five days of trading. But today, Shanghai Composite ending the session down 1%. The Hang Seng down 2%. Actually, now technically in bear market territory, more than 20% off the highs we got to back in January. If you go a little bit deeper, the property sectors, obviously the ones that are leading the declines, the tech sector down about 3.5% today as well. And then over in Japan, the Nikkei also in focus down half a percent. We had some inflation numbers come in, in line with expectations, holding steady at 3.3%. But again, a very uh, challenging couple of trading days there for the week. The Nikkei is down 3.1%. Over in Europe, the picture isn't much prettier. All of these indices are trading in the red, as you can see. FTSE 100 down two-thirds of a percent. Uh, here we had UK retail sales disappointing relative to expectations, impacted by some bad weather we had in July, but still does tell you that the UK consumer is beginning to pull back a little bit. Zetchadax down six-tenths of a percent. The Cacarant in France down seven-tenths of a percent. For the week as a whole, these indices are down anything between one and two percent. Frank. All right, Jemana Brissetti, thank you very much. We appreciate that. All right, let's tie all this together and get a, a bit of perspective. Joining me now, Gene Goldman, Chief Investment Officer, et cetera. Gene, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, so we just talked about the Hang Seng closing correction territory, uh, some of the issues in China's property sector weighing on the European markets in the early trade. How do you see it impacting the U.S. markets today? Yeah, I do think the U.S. markets will continue their, their near-term weakness. We've been saying for a while that three <laughs> things in the market, you know, first of all, the U.S. consumer is struggling. You've seen savings rates coming down. The San Francisco Fed yesterday talked about this. You're also seeing credit card usage increasing, stressing the consumer. Second of all, the Fed. We have the hangover from the Fed's meeting minutes. We can talk about this later. But the Fed's meeting minutes, higher for longer, is here for a while. And the third point, valuations. Valuations in the U.S. stock market, 19 times forward earnings for the S&P 500. We have rising rates. Valuations at this level don't make sense with rising rates. So this is something we're watching very carefully. All these together creates an in- intense market volatility, which will continue. So you're saying it's hitting, uh, the rising rates are hitting the valuation plays right now. So specifically, are you talking about big tech or are there other areas of the market hit by these rising rates where the valuations are now having investors at least scratch their head or maybe take a closer look? Yeah, I think clearly big tech is taking the big hit. I mean, big tech, obviously, given the fact low interest rates are used to price out equi- uh, tech equities tech on a go, go forward basis. But you're seeing this spread out through the rest of the market. Yes, we're seeing market. What sectors in particular? Is there one sector so, we should be watching today because of this? I would look at consumer discretionary. Again, the consumer overhang. I would also look at at um, industrials to an extent, okay. especially with the market volatility, especially the uncertainty about a rising dollar, given the news we saw over last night from, from the one. And then I think overall, just really, really telecommunication services. There's some big issues there. All right. So a couple sectors there. Let's get technical. You're yes. looking at some technical things right now. You're yes. focused on the S&P falling below its 50 day moving average. Yes. Something we just hit just a moment ago. And then on a technical basis, you say the 200-day moving average of 4138, that's the next level of support. Exactly. What does that mean in the near term? Because obviously we are have, we're saying, you know, Wall Street have a very tough week. Yes. Yeah, I think so. So that's, you know, so we've been saying to our advisors for a long time, near-term market weakness, market pullback, maybe a potential correction. <laughs> that could bring us down to the 200-day moving average. That's a good support level, 4138. Will it drop there right away? It's going to take a little while, just as we get good news and bad news. I think also the NASDAQ composite, the NASDAQ, the next level is. Watch carefully from 200 day moving average. All right. Uh, You mentioned the Fed. You mentioned rising rates for 33 days from the next Fed meeting, despite those Fed minutes where they made it pretty clear higher for longer. Look at the CME tool this morning. Still a 90 percent chance of no hike at all. 
Is Wall Street fooling itself? Are they fighting the Fed? Or do you believe that the Fed may actually pause? I do think the Fed will pause. I think the meeting minutes, three C's came up from the meeting minutes. First of all, we saw caution from the Fed. The Fed alludes to the fact that they may raise rates to address inflation. Second of all, the Fed is very confused. They said inflation is high, but they also said at the same time that, real, that rates are very restrictive. And the third thing is that they're confirming, confirmation, that's the third C, is that they're confirming that they're focusing on data. Take all this together, this is what scared the market because retail sales, GDP came above expectations. Our perspective going forward is this, is that the Fed is pausing, the Fed is done for the rest of this year, they're pausing, but higher for longer. Higher for longer because Inflation is still high, not at their, their target, but services inflation is still extremely elevated. And you take all this together and you have this uncertainty that the Fed needs to stay higher for longer. Okay, well, that's something we'll certainly have to watch. Gene Goldman, it is great to have you here in great studio. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Frank. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. We have Silvana Hanau here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, Arm reportedly naming its list of underwriters for the chipmaker's initial public offering, which is expected next month. Bloomberg says Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Barclays and Mizuho will split fees evenly as the lead underwriters. Arm, which will be assisted by 28 banks in total, is seeking a valuation for the offering of between 60 and 70 billion dollars. Instacart is reportedly planning to launch its long-awaited IPO next month with an official filing expected as soon as next week. Bloomberg reports the company is opting for a traditional listing on the Nasdaq. Instacart confidentially filed for the IPO last year but delayed the offering in October due to poor market conditions. And the company slashed its internal valuation by nearly half to around $13 billion. And shares of applied materials rising this morning, up about 3.5% after the chip equipment maker's third quarter revenue and profit beat estimates. AMAT also offering strong fourth quarter guidance, citing strong demand from chip makers setting up new production hubs. Applied materials has benefited from subsidies provided by governments for those new facilities, along with China's push to stock up on tools for making chips in the wake of U.S. export curbs, Frank. Yeah, certainly a lot to watch there. Yeah. Uh, applied material shares up 3.5% right now. Savannah Hanau, thank you so much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. And it was once one of China's largest property developers, and now Evergrande is seeking bankruptcy protection from a mounting list of U.S. creditors. Will this cast a dark cloud over the Chinese and the global economy? Shazad Kazi from the China Beige Book International is here to answer that question. Plus, as if shoppers, they just don't have enough to worry about with paying higher and higher prices at stores, gas prices. They've been moving up over the past month, and that's grabbed the attention of both consumers and top retail executives. And the latest edition of the massively popular Madden video game, that goes on sale today. The franchise has raked in more than $4 billion over its history, but has that translated to significant gains for electronic arts? The stock, a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselkumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. 
Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimvia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stocks in China and Hong Kong, they are dropping today. The Shanghai Composite down 1%. The Shenzhen down 1.7%. The Hang Seng, the hardest hit, down more than 2%. The Hang Seng on track for its biggest weekly loss in two months. This is investors and traders. They await concrete stimulus measures from the government to try to support the embattled real estate sector. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the details on this and much more. Eunice, good morning. Hey, Frank. Well, the latest is that Evergrande, the big property giant that uh, has about uh, $330 billion in liabilities, uh, has issued a statement to clarify that a move that it did in the U.S. court was not a bankruptcy application. It clarified saying that this is a technical move and that it's part of its overall overseas debt restructuring plan. Now, what it's done is that it's filed for Chapter 15 protection in Manhattan, which uh, states that non-U.S. companies undergoing a restructuring can be protected from creditors looking to sue them or tie up their U.S. assets. So Evergrande is arguing yet again um, just minutes ago that it is holding restructuring talks in places like Hong Kong, the British Virgin Islands, as well as the Cayman Islands, and that that should be recognized in a restructuring hearing on September 20th. Now, this move comes though, as Evergrande's uh, domestic unit has also confirmed that it is under investigation by Chinese authorities for a, quote, breach of disclosure rules. Now, that unit uh, didn't clarify much more. However, local uh, media has been reporting that that could be suspected data manipulation. And then adding further to the gloom, uh, the mid-sized commercial developer, uh, Soho China, which was once um, a target of uh, Blackstone, uh, has uh, said that its profits fell 93 percent in the first half of the year due to the uncertainty, and it expects to, its uh, second half of the year to also be um, undermined by, uh, they said, a material uncertainty. Yeah, Eunice, uncertainty really seems to be the word when it comes to the Chinese property sector, also Chinese equities in general right now. Are there concerns that we're going to see greater pushback from home buyers and other Chinese investors because of all this uncertainty? Yeah, what we already have, um, as we've been talking about, investors have been uh, coming to not only to the financial regulator's office here in Beijing, but also to a trust firm um, where uh, they've said that uh, they haven't seen payments, which they are expecting and hoping to see. Uh, we managed to speak to some of those investors, and they said that they've been um, discouraged by local authorities in their hometowns, uh, even far away from Beijing, uh, not to come here to the capital because uh, – the authorities here don't want to to have the, uh, that look of investors potentially protesting. All right. Our Eunice Yoon live in Beijing. Thank you very much. Great reporting as always, Eunice. Let's get more insight into what all this means for China, the U.S. and the global economy with Shazad Kazi, Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer at the China Beige Book International. Shazad, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. So great to have you here to sort this all out. We're just talking about all the uncertainty when it comes to the Chinese property sector. 
Chinese equities in general, just to be clear, Evergrande saying it is not filing for bankruptcy, but it's restructuring. So I think I have to ask you, uh, give us the 10,000 foot view of what's going on in China. Is it a crisis? And how big is, is the stimulus possibly that's coming? How big do you think it could be? You know, Frank, what's happening in China right now is a recovery that has just absolutely disappointed all expectations. China is not collapsing, but the climb back from the deep economic hole that the country was in uh, through the last couple of years has been so poor that markets seem to have given up all hope on an organic recovery and are instead now looking for uh, Beijing to announce a big stimulus rollout. That's where I have to caution investors. Newsflash, you're not going to get a big stimulus coming out of uh, Chinese authorities. What we are going to continue to see are very targeted measures uh, to help the property market. And monetary policy easing has okay. already been happening, but it's going to be much more fine-tuned and narrow. All right, so Shazai, here goes to the newsflash. You're saying no big stimulus coming. So does that mean no stimulus or no giant package that it seems like a lot of U.S. investors at least are expecting? Yeah, no giant package at all, the type that we uh, have been trained on in the post-GFC world to, uh, to look for in China. So some stimulus. We're not getting the big development projects. So some stimulus then. What, what areas do you expect to see some stimulus in? Well, first of all, I think there has been monetary policies going on, stimulus going on in plain sight in China. The real problem, Frank, is that companies have been basically uninterested in borrowing, despite the fact that borrowing costs have been falling uh, for the last several months. Um, I foresee particularly that type of easing taking place. I think much more uh, accommodative policies in the property sector to encourage people to finally get back into the market and buy homes. Uh, so easing on, on mortgages, easing on buying second homes, and that sort of thing, expanding that out to more cities. All right. So I think the next natural question is about contagion. Is there any risk of contagion here in the U.S. markets or the European markets, just the global economy? Obviously, China is such a big player in the global economy. I don't think so. Look, foreign investors have already known that the exposure that they had to the Chinese property market writ large uh, is under severe amounts of risk. We've known this for the last couple, uh, couple of years now, at least. And so I don't foresee contagion within China, and I don't necessarily foresee contagion of the type where we think of, again, in the financial crisis context out here. That said, foreign investors, including American investors, are going to be the absolute last people who will ever get paid, if they get paid at all, when it comes to these Chinese developers. Uh, who are struggling uh, to repay their debts. All right, right now we're looking at Chinese tech stocks as well. We're seeing Alibaba down about 3.5%. JD.com down more than 5%. I also want to talk to you about the Biden executive order, something you've already written about. Um, what impact do you see that having on China? And then also on this, this kind of interesting relationship between China and Europe, where Europe seems to be trying to get closer to China as we seem to be de-risking or decoupling, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, the Biden uh, executive order on outbound investments has what it's done. It's created a notification mechanism rather than a restriction mechanism, which is what initially it was uh, supposed to be. Um, and I think the impact is going to be very minimal. Uh, it's already uh, riddled with a lot of loopholes. And over the next year, as the comment period gets in, I think a lot of the rules around the restrictions part of it will be further diluted. I don't think markets need to overreact or be too concerned about the executive order. Quite frankly, I think it's a win for industry. Um, and, and so no need to panic. All right. Shazad Kazi from the China Beige Book. Always great to have you here. Appreciate the insight. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, mega video game franchise Mad Now with its yearly update. 
But will it be a touchdown for electronic arts investors? We have a closer look at gaming stocks straight ahead. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's back and it's better than ever. We're talking about it. Well, you see it right here. Madden 24, one of my favorite games. Daniel updated the best-selling video game coming out. <clears throat> Electronic Arts says this year the game has more control and more realism through its new Sapien and Field Tense technology. The company says the goal here is to blur the lines between the video game and a real football game as more gaming companies turn to artificial intelligence and virtual reality to really elevate the gaming experience. Let's talk more about what this means for gaming stocks with Andrew Merrick, Vice President at Raymond James. Andrew, good morning. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, so we're talking about Madden 24. As I mentioned, I play this game. I really enjoy it. A very popular title for EA Big day for the company, but what does it mean for the investors? Does this actually give a boost to the stock? Yeah, so the nice thing about these sports games from an EA perspective or from an investor's perspective is they tend to be quite consistent. Unit sales tend to fall within a pretty defined range mostly every year, and that's for FIFA or EA Sports FC, as it's now called, Madden, NHL, and the rest of EA Sports portfolio, where you really get some of the growth out of these game launches and and these stocks eventually is the in-game spend opportunities that you can get, especially in Madden, where you're collecting player cards for players that you can use in your online matches. And, and EA always coming up with, with new and innovative ways to uh, to get people to um, spend in-game, which I think is is where investors are really focused at this point. All right. Speaking of investors, you've been watching the, the basket of video game stocks. You say they're underperforming the S&P over the last year. Um, you're also looking at some alternative data and also Twitch. That's the social media site where you actually watch other people play video games. I never quite understand that. But (laughs) what trends are you seeing when it comes to engagement, when it comes to some of the major publishers? We are talking about EA, Take-Two, Activision, Blizzard, even Ubisoft. So we've seen Twitch engagement actually kind of soften since the heights of the pandemic, and that's even still coming down slightly year over year. However, when we actually get the actual results from the video gaming publishers, engagement tends to be quite strong. So what that's saying to us is there's still quite a lot of interest in video games and more interest in video games now than there was prior to the pandemic. Whereas people used to engage passively through watching other people play and actively, now people are spending their time maybe in different ways and choosing more of the active engagement, actually playing the games themselves rather than passive. Although passive engagement still does hold up well, and it is one of the key ways in which um, publishers and streamers both reach audiences. You know, right now we're showing the audience a graphic. It's a $385 billion industry when we talk gaming right now. So it's not just child's play. We think of it as kids or people in their basement playing, but it's really big business. So I want to talk to you about a big business deal. Microsoft's uh, you know, goal to acquire Activision Blizzard, a basically $68 billion deal. It looks like after a few regulatory hurdles, it might go through. What does that mean for the broader industry and some of these other companies in the space to have Microsoft purchase one of these big publishers? 
Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, it, it, it's our view at Raymond James here that we believe that this um, that this acquisition is now likely to close now that the UK is taking a more accommodative stance to the deal. And what it means to the rest of the space is now you start to see those big numbers start to be attractive to big tech companies, to big media companies, anybody who has IP or wants exposure to the video gaming landscape. Um, those other companies, the other independent players in the space do start to look interesting because they are driving real results and have real products behind them. So we were talking about video games generally. We're talking about the publishers, but and they're they're lagging the market overall. But you're saying there's some other names that are really winning. Um, some names we don't really talk about a lot. Give us a sense of the video game stocks that are successful right now, or at least their stock prices are successful. And what do they have in common? Is there something different from an EA or a take two? So now I think whereas in the past couple of years, a lot of these stocks have traded on some of the dynamics around the pandemic, um, a lot more exogenous factors. Now we think we're starting to return to more of a normalization on things like engagement trends, things like the performance of a release when it actually hits market. And so given that, now we start to look at forward pipelines for companies and how they might be interesting for the stocks. Um, EA and Take-Two kind of have both pointed investors, not toward this year so much, but toward next year, where both companies expect a step up in bookings, in Take-Two's case, a substantial step up in bookings. So we like EA in the more near term because of the consistency. As we spoke about EA Sports FC, Madden, quite consistent releases with growth in that live services component. Um, Take-Two's tends to be a little bit farther down the road with, um, with a signal of a major step up in bookings next year. You know, people are kind of reading between the lines on that, that it could be a Grand Theft Auto release. All right, Andrew Merrick, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. All right, so to come here on Worldwide Exchange, mixed signals with major retailers out with some strong earnings this week, but the guidance that's spooking investors. We take a deeper look at the sector's outlook coming up next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck, trying to snap the skid. Stocks limping into the end of this week on a three-day losing streak. Right now, futures are under pressure. We're also gauging the consumer as earnings season draws to a close. What have we learned about retail and the consumer? And creeping up, how much will rising gas prices put a, st- a strain on those consumers? It is uh, August, uh, Friday, August the 18th. I had to think about it. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, you pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, futures are under pressure at this hour. The S&P and the Nasdaq down fractionally. The Dow looks like it would open up about 70 points lower at this hour. We're also looking at the bond market right now after the, the benchmark 10-year hit its highest level since October. Right now, we're looking at the bond yield at 4.23 at the 10-year. The two-year note actually declining just a bit from what we saw yesterday, kind of pulling back from hitting a 5% yield. It was very close yesterday. Those rising bond yields, they've been pressuring the biggest of the big. We're talking mega cap tech stocks. Take a look at Meta. It has fallen into correction. The fifth of the so-called Magnificent Seven to fall into that territory. That's down 10% from its highs. Right now, you can see in the pre-market, down three quarters of 1%. Only Amazon and Alphabet are above that, while Tesla, the EV maker, 
actually in bear market territory, down 20 percent from its high. We also wanted to check on Bitcoin after it dropped more than 8 percent late yesterday afternoon. Taking a look at Bitcoin this morning right now at about 26,500, down almost 5 percent week to date, down almost 10 percent. Now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah. Hey, Frank, good morning. I'm back. All right. Goldman Sachs reportedly hiring several hundred new employees amid fresh regulatory scrutiny from the Federal Reserve, though it is unclear which areas of the bank the Fed is probing. Bloomberg says Goldman has been facing increased pressure from the Fed with the bank's operations and procedures potentially at risk if Goldman does not comply. The hiring spree follows a significant reduction to headcount made by Goldman last year. Major Texas grid operator Electric Reliability Council of Texas says it's activated its emergency system after increased power usage due to the heat wave caused electricity reserves to fall below the critical 3,000 megawatts level. The operator, which oversees the grid for more than 26 million customers and nearly 90 percent of the state's power load, expects power usage to hit a new record high today as extreme weather continues to weigh on the state. And shares of luxury fashion company Farfetch are plunging following a lower-than-expected sales number in its second quarter and a wider earnings loss. The company says it's growing and becoming more efficient as it executes on key strategic priorities and continues to adapt to the challenging macro environment over the last 18 months, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Taking a look at shares of Farfetch, down more than 37%. All right. Also looking at shares of Target, Walmart and Home Depot are on track to close out the week in the red after reporting earnings over the past few days. While their results were generally positive, it's the guidance investors are keeping a close eye on. More retailers have been warning of the resiliency of consumers that it may be at a tipping point amid higher prices, including gasoline, rising interest rates and the resumption of federal student loan payments this fall. For more on the key takeaways from retail's big week and what it means for the consumer, and inflation. I'm joined by Jerome Martis, director of consumer research at LSEG, and John Kilda, founding partner at Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. So, Jerome, let's start with you. Let's talk about retail's week. Um, according to your research, 79% of the companies so far that have reported they beat expectations. That sounds pretty positive, but yet we're kind of wringing our hands and we're keeping this close eye on retail because of the guidance. Where are we at when it comes to the retail sector? Absolutely. So about 88 companies, which is over half of the companies that have reported earnings, um, have mentioned during their call that inflation is a big problem. And as a result, we received more negative guidance for the third quarter than we traditionally have this time for the first and second half of first and second quarter of this year. Um, So more retailers are warning us not to expect too much for them from the third quarter. But traditionally, we do see a slowdown in the third quarter ahead of the holiday season. And back to school season is already off to a great start, which has some correlation with holiday season and is in line with our LSAC data, suggesting that the consumer will pick up for the fourth quarter. All right. So we we sped out some of the headwinds for the consumer, rising gas prices. We'll talk to John about that in a minute. Uh, rising rates. And we also, we didn't mention it right now, but credit card debt, over $1 trillion at a record high. So where is the consumer at today? Is the consumer stretched 
or are they just putting more in their card and willing to spend even more? They're willing to spend even more. In fact, um, we are starting to see some signs that things might actually be going back to normal. Um, wait, wait, what's normal? Though? Right. So back in, we just saw the government report strong July U.S. retail sales, right? But that was all promotional driven. The average discount level went to the highest we've seen this year, which is the same level we saw in 2019 and 2018. Also, we saw Walmart for the first time saying that consumers are buying big ticket items. Items. Really? And we saw that consumers finally splurge on apparel, which we haven't seen in a while. We saw uh, Ross and TJS smash those earnings expectations. So this is the first glimpse that we actually might be going back to the way things were in 2019. So you said apparel, not sweatpants. So is return to the <laughs> office, is that one of the, the a possible tailwind for the retail sector? Actually, the strong sales at Ulta tells us that, you know, the consumer is all about the reopening and wants to look good. Um, so, yes, no. Sweatpants are still strong. Lululemon is actually projected <laughs> to be one of the biggest winners this, this earning season. But you can wear those pants with a jacket, but I digress. Yes. We have some, <laughs> some of our colleagues that do that. Um, John, great to have you here as well. I want to talk gas prices. So we're going to show the RBOB. Um, that's wholesale gasoline prices, not the prices at the pump. But still, you've seen that go up about 10% over the last three months. Is that meaningful when we're talking to consumers, that kind of rise? <clears throat> Look, it, nobody likes it, and there's nothing more in, in the consumer's face than gasoline prices, right? I mean, it's, it's, and, and thankfully, there's cutthroat competition out there at the, retails, at the retail end of things. But um, not yet. Uh, at, at around where we are, just below $4 a gallon for most people, I know that you, saw, you, saw, you showed those uh, crazy prices out west where they're having all kinds of different issues. But um, as long as we stay below $4, I think the consumer will hold up, and you'll be, still see the, the great amount of spending that was just referenced here. Uh, but once it goes above 4 that's when it starts to register with folks. That's when your SUV costs you $80 to $100 to fill it up. And uh, it's, a, it's a drain. It's like a tax on the consumer. Um, they pull in their horns. It hits consumer confidence. And it's sort of the uh, first brick in the road towards potential recession because of consumer spending, uh, you know, reacting to that high, higher gasoline price. Yeah, we're just showing the map right there. So the, the retail price for regular unleaded, the average nationally, three eighty eight. dollars You see the red part of the map. That's the West Coast where it's actually above that $4 mark that you were talking about. You know, I, I want to hit on that for a second with you, Jerome. So last year, June of last year, we saw gas prices hit a record high. Um, what trends did we see last year that might give us insight into this year if we continue to see gas prices go up? Uh, last year was different because uh, retailers were still dealing with a lot of the supply issues and had to move a lot of the merchandise. And we saw um, a lot of discounting. Now we're seeing that, yes, retailers are managing the inventory levels better. And that's why you've actually seen that more companies are beating earnings estimates as opposed to missing. Um, so it's a different situation. But, yes, I'm in agreement that as of right now, the gas prices won't, are not having much of an effect at least um, for consumer spending. It's not holding them back. It's more of a psychological effect. Got it. So the gas prices aren't hitting consumers yet. What about rising diesel prices? Um, what's that doing to just generally the market? I mean, how does that impact the market when we see diesel go up? Of course, about 75% of everything we see in stores and even industrial goods, they're moved around by a truck that uses diesel generally. That's right, Frank. I mean, that, that's, that's where the inflation problem then bleeds into the rest of this, the sector. Uh, you see it first in, in, the, in the produce aisle, because uh, obviously you know, you're constantly refreshing the, uh, this, the, this, the stocks there, but then the rest of the supermarket, and then the rest of uh, retail. I mean, the, the profit margins start to get pinched because of the surcharges that then get tacked on by shippers as, as stuff gets brought to the store. And so that's going to be then the problem for the Fed. That's going to feed into a, this narrative about higher for longer in terms of interest. 
interest rates uh, because the Fed's going to have a greater inflation problem on its hands once again. And I would point out, though, too, as well, this is coming to us courtesy of Saudi Arabia, who has uh, really leaned into this market, reducing production, reducing exports, trying to drive this price up because uh, they claim the market's out of balance. It's not, but it's out of balance for them because the price isn't high enough for them. All right, so give us a sense very quickly. What's your outlook? Are we going to see diesel prices go back or at least close to that record that we saw last year? Um, If we see that happen, can it happen even with China having a soft economy and a lot of issues? I don't think it's a lock, Frank, that, that, it's, that it's going to go up. There's, there's plenty of upside fears, but I think there's plenty of downside reality at the same time. Uh, the China situation is bad. Uh, U.S. exports of crude oil are now approaching 5 million barrels per day on a regular basis. That's a problem for the Saudis. So, no, I don't, I don't think it's a lock at all. And I think that uh, we're, we're, we're going to hang in there. It's not going to explode to the upside. Okay, not going to explode to the upside, Jerome. I'm going to give you the last word on this. Not explode to the upside, but I think even John admits it's definitely moving higher. Not at concern levels. How does this impact back-to-school shopping in the holiday season? We, as you mentioned, retailers already given some pretty soft guidance. Well, it's definitely going to help everybody gravitate towards those um, membership clubs, right? We've seen this in the past, though, that we've seen that they go to Costco, to Sam's Club, because they want to save money at the pump. Inflation is the reason why all the consumers gravitated towards Walmart during the second quarter, why we saw these strong numbers, why consumers are trading down. They don't want to pay the high prices. Does it hit the holiday season, though? And back-to-school shopping is, is hard not to spend. Your kids need backpacks. Right. right. Parents they need have budgeted computers. for it, no yeah. matter what. But the holiday season, consumers will be spending. Services is still stronger than goods. Um, but yes, it, we, as of right now, Alsac is projecting a healthy holiday season. So growth year over year? Yes, absolutely. Earnings are expected to grow double digits. Right now, we're, we're seeing about a 19% growth in earnings for the second quarter, and that's projected to maintain into the holiday season. All right, a lot to watch there. Jerome Martis, John Kilduff, great to have you both here. Thank you very much for your time and your insight. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Good to be All right. So that's a look at consumers here, but shoppers in the U.K. staying away from the high street. We'll tell you why coming up next and why one major bank thinks Tesla's latest moves could be too little too late. We will explain. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call. Sheet. We begin with Morgan Stanley weighing in on Tesla's latest price cuts in China the firm reiterating its equal weight, equal weight rating on the automaker and a price target of 250. Morgan Stanley saying the move could be too little too late, raising some questions about excess supply and slowing demand. Shows a Tesla down 2% in the pre-market. Wells Fargo upgrading Hawaiian Electric to equal weight with a price of $8. Analysts saying the utility company is likely to share some liability from the devastating fires in Maui, but at a minimum, the company's bank has value. Taking a look at Hawaiian Electric. Shares down one and three quarters of a percent. Time now for your global briefing. We begin with retail sales in the UK falling more sharply than expected last month. Heavy rain, stubborn inflation and higher interest rates are being blamed. But in Japan, core consumer prices eased a bit in July on a year over year basis. But the core did pick up a little steam month over month and underlying Japan inflation remains at levels not seen in more than 40 years. And real estate giant Evergrande says it's not fine for bankruptcy, but it is restructuring its debt um, and says it does not involve a bankruptcy partition, despite some reports. The company's default in 2021 was the spark for China's deepening property crisis. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest says the worst part of the year for stocks might create opportunities for investors. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. So much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this.
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look around the world right now. The sun's still coming up or waiting to come up here in the New York City area in London. Bit rainy. We just talked about retail sales. They're falling more sharply than expected last month. Heavy rain in London, one of the factors there. Hong Kong, the trading day coming to an end. D.C. taking a look at the capital again. The sun's still waiting to come up right now. Just the beginning of the day. All right. Time now for your WEX wrap up. We begin with Chipmaker Arm reportedly naming its list of underwriters for its September IPO with Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Barclays and Mizuho splitting fees evenly as the lead underwriters. Raw store shares jumping on better than expected earnings and raised guidance, echoing results from other off-price retailers. The company saying cost-conscious shoppers are on the hunt for bargains. Shares of applied materials are also they're rising this morning after the chip equipment maker beat on earnings and posted strong fourth quarter guidance due to strong demand from chip makers setting up new production facilities. Instacart is reportedly planning its to launch its long-awaited IPO next month with an official filing expected as soon as this week. The grocery delivery service is expected to choose a traditional listing on the NASDAQ. And Meta shares are, are lower after officially dipping into correction territory with shares falling more than 10% from the recent 52-week high. Meta joins several of the mega cap tech stocks in correction. We're talking Apple, Microsoft, and Tesla, all in correction. All right, the major indices on pace for a losing week with the averages all down more than 2%. Join me now with a look at strategy heading into the last trading day of this week. Tiffany McGee of Pivotal Advisors. She's the CEO and CIO and a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, it is always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. All right, so we're talking about the futures in the red, futures in the red over in Europe as well. Um, some of that pressure from some of the issues in the Chinese property sector. Do you expect that to continue to spill over into the U.S. and concern investors here? Yeah, listen, you know, we're, we're in the home stretch of August. And, uh, you know, you, you open the show with all of these, um, you know, uh, 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 potential items that will affect the market. And we're really anticipating a more, more volatility today. And so I do expect that to continue with the ultimate, um, you know, uh, impact, um, the ultimate thing impacting um, the markets being the Fed. Right. But, you know, I think it's really important to note that September is traditionally the worst performing month of the year for the past 22 years. It's been that way. Twelve of those months, September has been negative. So now is a good time as, as we kind of head into uh, thinking about next week to look at your portfolio, um, see where you need to rebalance and kind of prepare yourself for potential opportunities in September. In, in, uh, September. All right. So you're saying potential opportunities coming up in just a few weeks. But what about right now? I mean, we're seeing some big mega cap stocks taking quite a dip over the last week or so. Would you buy the dip on these companies right now? Or do you think there's more downside pain? It really depends on the company. You know, so again, when the market's down, uh, it's usually a good time to buy your high conviction names. So it really depends on the company. We don't want to kind of uh, paint um, our, our buy strategy with one broad brush. Uh, you know, I always, when I'm, when I'm on the show, kind of talk about our formula at Pivotal in terms of like how we buy stocks. You know, it's really about quality. It's about um, strong balance sheets. Uh, and it really is about um, competitive mode. So, you know, I think investors should really think about what their buy strategy is and um, kind of identify individual high conviction names. All right. So with that all in mind, Tiffany, what's your WEX word of the day? Cautiously optimistic. That's two words I know. Uh, but again, you know, we're experiencing uh, some, some volatility right now. I expect that to continue and including, you know, potentially into September. But the good news is, um, you know, for, for the rest of the year, the fourth quarter is, is traditionally the highest performing quarter. But again, 
um, really pay attention to uh, to those names that you have a lot of um, confidence in and buy those on the dip. All right. So um, cautious out the number one, you're sneaking in a phrase. A lot of people have been sneaking in phrases lately. I am. I so am. With I that am. in mind, you're cautiously <laughs> optimistic. But give us a sense of some of the, the plays that you would actually make today, even with that optimism and, and that caution in mind. Uh, you gave us a list of some of them. I want to start with one of them, an AI play, HubSpot. Um, why are you so bullish mm-hmm. on this name? It seems like one of the names that might be deeply impacted by these rising rates. It's also had a huge run up here yeah. to date. Yeah, I mean, it's up over 75% year to date. And again, you know, just a, just a bit of a reminder, at our firm, our clients are institutions. So we're managing money for foundations and endowments. And it's actually over multiple lifetimes, right? So in perpetuity. So we're not, we're, we're less of traders and more of long-term investors. And so we look at a company like HubSpot. Yes, definitely. It's, it's done extremely well this year. But, you know, when we think about um, their kind of competitive moat and their business model, there's this growing need for CRM systems, right? At a reasonable price, uh, contrasted to like a Salesforce, which is a bit more expensive. Uh, HubSpot offers a little bit more and really kind of caters to like that smaller market. Uh, and that's really where, um, really, really where uh, thing, things are going right now. Uh, it's definitely more user friendly. Um, it, they actually have lo- like really low market share, which we believe kind of sets them up for, sig- okay. for significant potential uh, for, for, for runway growth. You're also hitting one of our themes, uh, retail. So you have a pick in the retail space. Lululemon, why would you buy this stock today? It's also had a pretty strong run up year to date. Um, and in general, kind of considered a, a more higher end luxury brand when it comes to sports yeah. apparel, when we're seeing that the consumer is a bit stretched. Yeah. And so you, you actually bring, bring up a good point. The consumer is a bit stretched. And remember, um, this year that excess COVID savings is going to run out. And also student loan repayment is going to uh, come back. Um, but Lulu has really carved themselves a, a really nice uh, spot in the market. They had this cult following. Right. Um, so for for consumers of Lulu, Lulu is no longer a nice to have. It's a must to have. Right. Those align pants that they have that I have on actually right now are amazing. <laughs> um, and they really kind of like look they, they they are excellent at listening to their customers and meeting their customers needs. So not Lulu necessarily just today, um, but in perpetuity. Right. So this is a company that we really like long term. And if it does take a dip today uh, or even Monday, kind of going into next week, I think it's a good opportunity to buy. All right. Tiffany McGee, always great to see you. Thank you, as always. Love those picks. All right. Before we let you all go, let's get a final check on the futures right now. As we mentioned, under pressure this morning right now, looks like the Dow would open up about 40 points lower at this hour. The S&P and the Nasdaq also fractionally lower. We're also taking a look at treasuries, as we mentioned. The 10-year, the benchmark, hit its highest level since October yesterday. Right now, just a few basis points under that level at 4.22%. And again, we're seeing the two-year note ease back from that 5% yield right now at 4.91%. Also taking a look at European markets, uh, hit hard by some of that Chinese property issues uh, with Evergrande, saying they're not filing for bankruptcy, but they are restructuring. Taking a look, uh, the FTSE 100 down three-quarters of a percent. Um, over in Asia, we're seeing a lot of those stocks hit the Hang Seng, actually closing in correction territory right now, down 2%. Um, the Shanghai Composite down 1%. That's going to do it for Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.
I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselkumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.